Hey everyone, John Wertheim here, and it's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. We are roughly halfway through uh, what has already been a crazy, sometimes exhilarating, and sometimes uh, somewhat dispiriting 2021 Australian Open. Uh, the full disclosure here is that um, I'm covering this for Tennis Channel from our studio, brand new studio, which looks great, but it is in LA. So uh, there is uh, a little bit of did the kids say FOMO, Jamie? There is uh, there's, there's a bit of FOMO here. Um, I am in California watching a lot of tenants on a lot of monitors, but not in Melbourne. So that, that's the full disclosure. But um, it has been a wacky tournament on any number of levels through uh, the first six days. Jamie, uh, first, I will, I will welcome you. Nice to, uh, nice to connect still remotely. Three time zones away only this time. And we <laughs> should note that um, it is... What is it? It's about noon Friday, my time, West Coast time, 3 p.m. Eastern, middle of the night before Saturday. So uh, we will try and discuss what happened and what uh, what will happen, but just timestamp this. Uh, we are halfway through this event. The fans have gone home. Melbourne is in a five-day lockdown, and uh, that's, that's where things stand. Uh, Jamie, welcome, and um, I'm curious uh, sort of if you to, to what extent our experience overlaps? So, so far, it's been in some ways a great tournament, in some ways, just really bizarre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's my. I was going to start with you with this new lockdown. Um, of course, you know, my original question to you was, is always, you know, because you are typically on the grounds there, was is always to ask you, what is it like? Give us a sense of the environment. What's the scene like in Melbourne? I mean, it's uh, it's my first question to you always, no matter what. And so it's weird, of course, now, as you said, you're watching on screens, same as us. You are not there. But um, I, I gather that you've been able to um, understand a little bit, uh, maybe just with in talking with players or just watching all these different feeds in the studios a little bit of what it has been like there. And of course, we've heard the the fans and the, the yelling and the screaming. And now again, that's going to change as matches won't have fans going forward. So what have you felt? Do you feel like it, it seems like it's the same as always? Or is there this strange feeling in the air? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, because we have had events without fans. And we've obviously uh, pre-COVID Every event did have fans. I don't think we've ever had an event like this, though, where in the middle it's going to be a completely different change in environment. And the players have talked a lot about how much they've appreciated the fans and how once they've gotten on the court, you know, they've had to quarantine some harder than others. Obviously, it isn't full capacity. There are, you know, there's electronic line calling. It's clear this is not a conventional tournament, but once the ball's in play, and you've got fans cheering, and sometimes I mean, some of these Nick Curios matches have seemed like pre-COVID Nick Curios matches. I think the players have obviously grown to, uh, they've grown kind of accustomed to playing in front of crowds. It's going to be really strange. And we even saw that in, in the Novak Djokovic-Taylor Fritz match, where literally there, there was not a fan in the stands when that match was over. Um, it's very strange in the middle of an event to, uh, to have, I mean, imagine sort of a, a theater performance where, you know, acts one and two are standing room only, and then uh, acts three and four are are empty. So it's going to be um, it's going to be very interesting and weak. I think the players have really appreciated it. I think the level of tennis is something that we 
probably haven't talked about enough. I think it's been, overall, it's been exceptional. We're all wondering what is going to be the impact of tennis, not just COVID, but what's 14 days in a hotel room? How is that going to manifest itself when the players take to the court? We have not seen an extraordinary number of retirements. We have not seen, you know, there have been some upsets. Obviously, the defending champion on the women's side is no longer in. We can talk about that. But I think there's been a lot of chalk. I mean, you sort of name the, the five favorites on the men's side and the women's side before the event. And I would say all 10 of those players are still in the draw. I think the tennis has been great. There have been some of these wacky, we, we can talk about uh, tennis Karen at the Nadal match, or we can talk about the, the Italians yelling at each other after their five-setter. It's kind of had the, the wacky moments too. It seems an awful lot like a major. It's just going to be really interesting to see if that carries over to week two when you know, it, it's not just fans that aren't going to be there too, but a lot of a lot of the infrastructure is not going to be there either. So, um, I, I would say uh, a great first week. I don't know anyone that sort of said, "Boy, I wish we hadn't done this." I think everybody's happy to have had five days of really solid tennis, and now it's going to be interesting to see what it's going to be like now that Melbourne is is back in a lockdown situation, Jamie. Yeah, and I think that's really the the biggest part for me. I mean, I think Taylor Fritz, as you mentioned was not shy about sharing his thoughts about the fans exiting, you know, mid-match. He he was pretty upset about that. And, you know, I think it it really shows, um, especially when you have such a stark contrast from one set to the other, fans, no fans, um, you know, and then this sort of um, almost like deflating the balloon. I mean, mm-hmm. you literally, like, they had a 10-minute break, the players did, and and the, um, you know, the fans exiting and all of a sudden all the air sort of taken out of the, the court and, and the match generally. So I think going forward, um, you know, this is not playing with no fans is not an unfamiliar thing, unfortunately. You know, they, we, we've seen this in, in past, but I think you're right. I think the transition from this, you know, you mentioned the, the Nick Kyrgios Dominic team match. I mean, the energy in that match and the the roaring from the crowds. I mean, I was actually, you know, looking closely and some, you know, you can't even really see masks on people. It really does seem like a pre-COVID time when you watch back some of the highlights and, and you know, watch that match on screen. So it's going to be very different. And I think um, for certain players, whether it's the, uh, you know, hometown Australian players or it's the uh, Serena's and, and Djokovic's of the world. I think that the the fans are really going to play, or the lack of now, are going to play a huge part. You know, especially with with someone like Serena, who we've seen come out slow in some of these early matches, and also we've seen her struggle with nerves uh, recently. You know, it, as as it, recently as, as last year, you know, in, in some of these tournaments where the, there were no fans. So I think it's going to have a big impact for sure. Yeah, I, I think some players react differently to fans, and I think some players react differently in different contexts. So in general, yeah, Serena Williams is this global icon, the superstar. I mean, since she's been a teenager, she's played in front of packed houses on the biggest courts. I assume it's it's really jarring the way it started in Lexington, Kentucky in August and at the U.S. Open and, uh, you know, through through a day or two at the French Open. Um, it must be really jarring for her. I think also at the same time, maybe this will help her. And I think one of the reasons she hasn't been able to close that 24th major is it's history. All the tennis greats come out to watch that final. You've got, you know, Trevor Noah and and. Jay-Z and the celebrities. I think it might benefit Serena to play in front of a much more 
sedate atmosphere. Um, I, I think the other thing that you mentioned about Melbourne is that once once the players have gotten through the quarantine, the restaurants are open. As you say, you, you haven't seen masks. And it's been sort of pre, pre-March 2020 living. It's kind of pre-COVA living. And so I think, um, you know, it's this tournament is really asking a lot of the players. It's always a, a haul to get to Australia for most of the players. Remember, the, the qualifiers had to qualify in the Middle East. Players came from all over the world. They then had two weeks of quarantine. Again, in, in some cases, they couldn't even leave their hotel room. Now, midway through the tournament, the context is going to be changed completely. Um, again, I think Tennis Australia deserves a lot of credit. There have been a lot of sort of uh, audibles being called here. All of this, of course, is in service of, of public safety. I mean, I, I don't think anyone is sort of taking the side that this is uh, over overly cautious. I don't think anyone is objecting to this. I think everybody gets this is all done in the interest of, uh, you know, keeping people, including the tennis players, as, as healthy and safe as possible. But, yeah, it's, it's going to be um, whoever wins this, to put it this way, I'll, I'll say two nice things about this, Jamie. One of them is I think it's really sort of, this will sound corny, but I, I think the, the players really, if they didn't have it already, they have a real appreciation for the fans and how much of a, an impact it makes on the whole experience. And I also think the players that happen to win this event next weekend um, will have made really profound statements. Um, the, the physical and mental overlay, the adjustments, the ability to generate your own energy, uh, this is really going to be an extraordinary title for the two players that, that do end up winning. Definitely. We went from, uh, you know, 30,000 or so socially distanced fans to, uh, you know, we'll have nothing for the second week, but at least we won't have any, uh, you know, rowdy, reckless fans that may have had too much gin or tequila heckling uh, some of these players. <laughs> was one of the great uh you know i mean that's part of a major though honestly i mean part of uh part of the joy of covering this part of the joy of being the fan you know the, the last we, we always remember the winners and who hoists the trophies but you have these sort of fun and wacky and unscripted moments along the way and i you know tennis karen sitting there clearly inebriated y- yelling at nadal and, and giving him the middle finger uh un- unpleasant as it may have been uh and, and i thought he handled it extraordinarily well but you know, honestly, like, these are the moments that make majors. I mean, a lot of these first week stories don't have particular relevance on who ends up winning the title, but it's, it's part of the whole fun of, of attending these events and honestly covering them. And uh, the first week, you the, the butterfly lands on Naomi Osaka, and the, the Italians played a 14-12 in a decisive set tiebreaker, and Fabio, I don't know if you caught this, Fabio Panini wins this match. As they shake hands at the net, he tells his opponent, who's lost the match, not a uh, great job out there. That was a lot of fun. Or I commend you on the battle. He says, you were effing lucky out there four times and they have to be separated. Uh, <laughs> those, those are all the sort of wacky moments that give these events some texture. And a lot of times they, they depend on fans. So um, yes, to your, to your question, I mean, right, right now it's looking like a five day, a five day sort of ban on fans. And I guess they'll be reassessing after that. So who knows? Maybe these finals do get played in front of a right. crowd, but you know, right now, everyone's staying home. And I, I think the other thing to bear in mind is it's it's not just fans. So a central worker, as we know in this country, is is sort of a a bit of a mushy term, a bit a bit squishy. Um, but 
you know, will, will medical personnel be at all pared down? If, if Novak Djokovic needs a scan, is that person going to be there? What is the media presence going to be like? Um, it looks, I, I had heard there will be ball kids, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. If there's, if there's a lockdown, how many parents are going to be excited to send their kids to a, a public sporting venue? I mean, I think it's not just the fans. I think it's going to be really interesting to see who does and doesn't show up for these next five days. But, uh, you know, I mean, let's, you know, let's, we can pivot a little to the tennis, which is to say uh, we are into rounds three and four and the the favorites are still there. And there are a lot of tantalizing matches um, and matchups. So in, in a way, the, the good news is the tennis has been spared and we have a lot to look forward to uh, in a, you know, in a, in a 78 by, uh, you know, in a, in a tennis court sense. Yeah, since you mentioned it, I wanted to talk first about Djokovic, who um, mentioned that he had some sort of muscle tear, uh, I think like in his, I guess, stomach or, you know, abdominal region. Um, How much have you heard, like what details have you heard about his injury? Of course, he, you know, came through, came back to win in five cents against Fritz, and now he could potentially be injured here. and he will face Milos Raonic. So what have you heard there? Yeah, Milos Raonic, we should point out, who uh, has never beaten Djokovic in 11 encounters, which I think might actually be, be relevant. I mean, if you're weighing whether to retire from an event, and, you know, I mean, in mm-hmm. Djokovic's case, I mean, everything has these historical stakes. So you're not just, you know, you, you wouldn't just be retiring from the tournament. You wouldn't just be failing to defend your title. But this has sort of big capital H history implications as well. Um, and I, I do wonder if the fact that he's facing an opponent to whom he's never lost in the next round it would, would weigh on this. I mean, I guess we're, we're all waiting to see. I mean, he walked in. The good news is that he won the last, you know, he, he won the last point he played and won the match and won the last set. Won uh, a fifth, uh, you know, a, a five-setter against Taylor Fritz, um, as Djokovic tends, tends to do, tends to win these five-setters. I Suppose we are waiting to uh, get a sense of how severe this injury is. He, he already, as you say, he seemed to already diagnose it as this abdominal tear, which certainly doesn't sound good, certainly doesn't sound conducive to winning uh, 12 more sets of tennis. But he has these extraordinary powers of, of coming back. The extra day in between matches is, is always uh, important at majors, though, again, with this lockdown, you wonder how that impacts things. It won't necessarily be as easy to get treatment as it would have been uh, a few days ago. I don't know. I mean, I guess we're, we're all sort of waiting to see. I mean, the, the last check, he went into the press conference after the match and basically said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to post for my next match. My strong suspicion is he will. Um, again, I think it's, it's not irrelevant that he has never lost to the player that he's about to face, but it's certainly not, um, you know, it's certainly not ideal. I mean, the, the flip side of that is, you know, Rafa Nadal is suffering uh, an injury himself. Dominic Team is coming off uh, a five-setter. So, um, you know, I, I would imagine Djokovic will post, but I do suspect that um, it'll be some tense moments and he might be compromised. For sure, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big decision. And I think especially it being the beginning of the year, beginning of the season um, I'm sure he's anticipating you know a long year ahead so and and also as we've talked about uh, previously this is his event 
I mean, this mm-hmm. is, he is essentially untouchable here. And I think, you know, if we go back to ahead of the tournament, one of the only things that was going to keep him from winning this title or one of the only options is something like this, an injury, something unforeseen, something that, you know, no one can really predict an outside force. And, um, you know, this is definitely it. So time will tell to see, you know, the severity of it, but it uh, could end up being a real shakeup um, for sure, especially uh, given that, you know, given his dominance here. Think about this, Jamie. He wins last year in Melbourne. And, um, you know, Nadal is, again, doesn't play particularly well in Australia. And you wonder where his confidence is. Djokovic beats Dominic Team in a final and seems to really have his, uh, his, his run of the place. So Wimbledon doesn't happen. Djokovic is a defending champion, doesn't get a chance to defend Wimbledon in 2020. At the U.S. Open, we all know what happened there. At the French Open, Rafa was at his Rafaist and not only won the title, but just destroyed Djokovic in the final. It's now been more than a year since Djokovic won his last major. We kept saying, well, dude, these guys are playing for history, and Djokovic is the youngest of the three. And, you know, if you sort of project this in terms of sheer time and age, he's probably going to come out ahead if, if form holds. Well, now it will be, not only will it be more than a year since his previous major, but now we're going to Paris where Nadal, in, in theory, is going to be the overwhelming favorite to win again, to get to 21 or possibly 22 if Nadal wins here. Suddenly, Djokovic had pulled within two majors of Nadal. And by the time we get to Wimbledon 2020, you know, it, it might be as many of, as, as five apart. So it's been, um, you know, it's, it's provided Djokovic doesn't play, it's suddenly been a, a really rough, period for him it's really been a really rough COVID uh period um again it's all sort of p- part of this greater plot uh that we're all following in terms of this goat race it's, it's all sort of part of the drama but yeah right right now it's been a very rough 12 months for the guy who's ranked number one world number one seated number one and is a two-time defending champion for sure and uh, we can quickly um you know go through some more storylines and results here on the men's side but uh what a match the uh dominic team nick curios we talked about a little earlier but uh one thing that stuck out for me there um you know of course team comes back from two sets down to beat curios on his home turf and uh team said after that you know since since the u.s open basically that he he believes that impossible is nothing you know and it's so sounds cliche or something but i i think I took away from that, that how much winning that first major and breaking through, how much confidence that really can give a player. Um, we talk about, you know, someone like Sasha Zarev who hasn't yet to break through there and some of the other players, um, particularly on the women's side who have, you know, broken through and they have that major. And I think um, for a lot of, you know, a lot of players, we see how, how much more comfortable it makes them, how much more confidence. And it sounds so ridiculous, I guess, because it's such an intangible, but, uh, you know, that, that stuck out for me, uh, for sure. After, after watching and, uh, hearing him say that. Yeah. For, for the record, I think that was Justine Hedden's like Adidas catchphrase in about 2008. Um, but, but, but it's a nice, I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, it's nice sentiment. And I think that, you know, we, we talked before the U.S. Open. We said, 
would this title have an asterisk, which really was sort of a, a silly conversation that didn't come to pass. And I think quite the opposite. It does not matter that there weren't fans in the stands. It doesn't matter. He didn't have to go through any of the big three. I think you're totally right, Jamie. He has won his major. He's done with that discussion. He's proven himself. He can win seven matches. And that makes a difference. Um, that match with Curios was, was great fun. It was sort of, uh, it, as you might expect, it was, uh, it was a spirited affair. Curios looked great, and then Curios sort of wilted. We've seen this from him. I mean, it's sort of an annual dance he tends to do where he looks good in the early rounds. He plays one of the higher seeds uh, very tightly and, and gets the crowd involved and then eventually can't quite get across the finish line. And you, you do sort of, as, as much as you admire Curios and his talent, you do wonder if he had a normal training regimen and didn't play you know, call of duty the whole time. And if he had a normal coach who might have game plans a little different, if he'd really applied himself, as we might say uh, to, a, to a teenager, if he'd really applied himself, you wonder if he could have gotten over that. But, you know, Dominic team wins a five-set match. He probably should not have won. Uh, the two guys rank ahead of him are both physically compromised. As you say, he now takes the court every time knowing, look, I've done this before. I don't have to worry about, will this be my breakthrough major? That's already happened. And suddenly, uh, yeah, I mean, suddenly, if I, I don't know what, I haven't checked the, uh, the, the odds here, but suddenly Do Dominic Team has gone from being one set eliminated from this tournament to suddenly pr probably a pretty good bet to do one match better than last year and win the thing. So uh, I, I, think that's, I think that's a really good point, Jamie, that ha having won one of these majors has an awful lot of value that you can't necessarily quantify. Yeah, be, beyond the Adidas tagline, you're absolutely right. I was using it more to make a larger point, but uh, but yeah. No, uh, no, but he said it's funny though. He said he said uh, impossible is nothing, and I've seen that every. I mean, it was all over my my Twitter, and I saw Yahoo headline, and I'm thinking like, wait a second, that thing sounds uh, yeah, that thing sounds it, familiar, but uh, definitely not. Team plays uh, billboards. <laughs> he's an he's an Adidas guy, so maybe he's yes. just uh, exactly. a good, good corporate citizen. No, I, I, that was a, my, uh, you know, looking at it closer, my, my second thought. But like, like I said, I think just a larger note um, about that. And to transition a bit, I think um, that really brings up Serena to mind. Because, of course, there is this big number 24 that is just hanging over her head. And I feel like we've been talking about this for way too long. But what are your thoughts on her first few matches? You know, she now will face Sabalenka and they've actually never played I believe so it, it should be a really tough match but in my opinion I think I said this earlier I think she's been coming out of you know coming out a little slow a little sluggish and um, she seems to be not interested in kind of like engaging in rallies early on or she just kind of isn't ready to like pounce and go for the kill uh, until she almost has her her back against the wall or or something so um i'm i'm interested to see how she progresses i mean i think she even said it's it's about surviving you know and and playing better every round and it's it's really interesting to hear her you know someone who's been in the game for so long has won so much to say something like that yeah, it's it's always. Um, I mean, this has kind of been a, a, a career long habit of hers. She sometimes has looked a little sluggish in the early rounds, and then she catches, and, uh, and the rest of the field is put on notice. I, you know, I I kind of feel like they're almost two. There's sort of these two parallel storylines on the women's side, and we'll see whether they intersect. And one of them is the sentimental 
can Serena get to 24? She's, I mean, we always say this, she's 39 years old. She's a mother. It's been four years since she last won a major. It's, it's completely admirable that she's still out there uh, competing with this level of intensity. We saw the Venus Williams match, speaking of admirable, which, which adds sort of a, an emotional note to this. Uh, so, we have, so we have the Serena storyline. And that's kind of 1A on the women's side. And then the parallel is you have these other players who are considerably younger by, by more than a decade, and they've won more frequently. And sort of in, in the non-sentimental side, it's more, you know, can Naomi Osaka really solidify her run? And can Simona Halep take an Australian Open? She's come so close. And Ash Barty is the number one seed. It would be the first time since the late 70s Australia had a champion. Iga Svantec hasn't lost a, a match in a major now uh, in, her, in her last 10 matches and has certainly, um, so far anyway, built nicely off her success in Paris. And, and can Serena come and sort of interrupt this? Or conversely, can these four players come and then one of them take down Serena? So it, it's sort of like you, know, you, you have the sentimental storyline of Serena and then sort of back in the real world where the 20-somethings are playing you have these four or five contenders. Sabalenka is an interesting matchup for Serena. As you say, I was really surprised they've never played before, but you are correct. Uh, yeah, I was, Jamie. I thought that was wrong, but it's, it's not. <laughs> never. I mean, I, you know, I guess Sabalenka is still only right, right. 20, 22. Um, but no, I was surprised to see that too. I mean, that's going to be obviously, a, that's a heavy hitting match. That's a top eight seed in Sabalenka. That's, I mean, Serena is going to be the lower seeded of the two players, which is hard to believe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sabalenka's won 17 of her last 18 matches, and it's going to be a lot of heavy hitting. The flip side of that is Sabalenka's a player who can hit herself out of a match, and I think Serena's got a real, a real shot there. I mean, she can match power off the ground, and I think Sabalenka might end up being the more nervous of the two players, but this will be a chance to really get a gauge on, on Serena and, and where she is. Um, she hasn't looked you know, she has looked incredible in her first three wins, but three wins are three wins. I do think this about Serena. If she is not successful at this event, I think her odds of winning that fourth go way down. I mean, I just think this is such an opportunity for her for, for any number of reasons. Uh, one of them is the fact that the, the conditions are to her liking. It's a fast court. It's not particularly hot. She's got a day in between matches. I, I guess that she always does at majors. This event started three weeks later, so she had a little extra time to sort of get get some injuries healed up. I also think the fact that it's on the other side of the world and she's not going to have the pressures we talked about is something that's really to her advantage. Um, just as, as we we're not allowed to cheer in the press box, but I think there's it's hard not to root for her. It's hard not from that's standpoint of everything she's done for tennis, a standpoint of just desserts, a standpoint of you want someone who's been so open and, and so bold about how this is a real goal of hers. You'd like to see her fulfill that goal. It, it's hard not to root for Serena. Um, but I, I do think if, if she doesn't get it this time, then I think it's going to be really tough. So um, that's all, all, all part of the storyline here, but um you know, this, this Sabalenka match will tell us a lot. Definitely. Yeah, I think the one thing that, I don't know if you've heard, but it, it seems like the injury that, that plagued her at the end of last year in the fall seems to be okay. Um, you know, I uh, that's the one thing I think we 
I've, I've heard you say before that this is, you know, this is the opportunity for her to take this and, you know, um, she really has a good chance here. And so I, as you said, hope that if that's the case, that the injuries, you know, do not affect her and she can play through and just uh, compete. But this Abilenka match will be definitely pretty interesting. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, I think the this this draw, I, I do think sort of typifies where tennis is in general, which is you have these two towering champions on the men's side. Roger Federer, of course, not being in the draw. He will resume his, uh, his tennis coming up next month. But, you, you know, you have these absolute towering champions and this storyline of can the next group, you know, can Dominic Team build on his U.S. Open? Can Zvera finally win a major? Can Daniil Medvedev, who's now 25 years old, win a major? Tsitsipas, who sort of have that next tier down, can they – um, can they break through? But re realistically, I would think one of the top, you know, I, I would be surprised if someone who wasn't among the top five seeds would win. And then the women's side has given us not nearly as much predictability. And Serena notwithstanding, you, you don't have anyone close to double figure in majors. But what you have are a lot of very competitive matches of very competitive players. You have great matchups. You've got a lot of possibilities. You could, uh, you know, I, I was thinking the, Winner of this event last year, Sophia Kennan went out in, in round two quite quite meekly. We can talk a bit about that. Uh, we have the winner of the 2019 U.S. Open. Bianca Andreescu is not in the draw, and the women's side still doesn't seem remotely depleted. I mean, basically, uh, you you still have contenders galore. You have storylines galore. You've got matchups galore. You know, women's tennis lost two of its top seven, seven seeds, you know, two, two of the top seven seeds are no longer on the women's side and the draw doesn't feel depleted at all. And the men's side is completely different that you've got, you got the number one guy, the number two guy, and kind of the number three guy. And uh, I think if, if someone outside, again, outside of the top five seeds wins on the men's side, it would be absolutely shocking. So uh, two, two very different. Uh, and, and I think they the two go well together, but it's, it's two very different uh approaches to individual sports right now. Definitely. Any other either first round, second round losses or, or players um, who maybe didn't advance but deserve a bit of a mention or, or stuck out to you that we might be hearing about going forward this year? Oh, man. Um, let's, uh, I don't have a draw in front of me. Felix OJ Aliasim beats uh, Dennis Shapovalov yeah. handily, which I think is uh, a result worth noting um as we speak right now both jen brady and shelby rogers who are not just big hitting americans but also have a knack of uh playing their best tennis um in important events uh, I, again jen, jen brady is a player who's done this mid-career elevation that i think is really hard to pull off and she probably hasn't gotten enough credit for that keep an eye on her um no there have been a lot of sort of nice tennis moments or you know a qualifier Karatsev beats Diego Schwartzman here's a guy who's 27 years old he's been hurt he didn't even qualify for the French Open a few months ago and here he is into the second week of a major I, you know is he winning the tournament probably not but it's a nice uh, a nice story to um to know but no I mean I think Jamie honestly what struck me is that for all the the chaos here right I mean for for all the sort of uh, the, the turbulence and the lockdowns and players hitting balls off their mattresses at the, the Hilton at the Hyatt 
Um, if you didn't know better, you think this was a pretty conventional major. So I, I give the players a lot of credit for all the chalk because uh, what you realize is these are real professionals and dealing physically and, and spiritually and emotionally with um, some very strange circumstances has really not had much of an adverse impact on the tennis or on the results. So um, it's, it's been a great, great week one. It will be a strange next five days with no fans. But um, again, my prediction before the tournament uh, was that in the end, we will remember this for the champions and not for the lockdown and Bernard comics, girlfriend and all sort of the, the, the tabloid stories. I, I, I suspect we, we didn't have this with the U.S. Open. We didn't have this with the French Open. I, I don't suspect many people are going to say, boy, I wish this tournament had never been held. And uh, right. I give Tennis Australia a lot of credit. I give the players a lot of credit, too. Yeah, I think I agree. And I think the one thing I'm looking forward to seeing beyond what we talked about with the impact of no fans now going forward is just to see how um, the tournament in general, from what we hear, you know, from the people on the grounds, whether it's the the organizers, the people um, of Melbourne, you know, just, just generally how I think one of the big things we talked about with the U.S. Open specifically, which was, you know, r- right around across the road from us, that it was actually very good you know and and they they did a great job and there was a lot of support and so uh, it makes me think of something like the olympics where people were not very happy to are not really excited about hosting in there i think um, i'll be interested to see after the fact when when all said and done the impact the general um you know public's view on the tournament and and tennis australia and everything going forward um, agree. And I think that uh, the, the Olympics are watching closely, both Tokyo and the Winter Olympics in China right around a year from now. This is, uh, you know, this is one of the first major sporting events that's tried to negotiate this with some crowds. I think there are going to be a lot of people paying very close attention. I think if Craig Tiley wanted to, uh, he, he might uh, want to moonlight as a consultant for the IOC because uh, a lot of people are paying a lot of attention to how this is being handled, but um, all right. I have a, uh, I have a call time. I've got to run to. I, um, nice conversation as always, Jamie. I suspect uh, maybe we'll do another one of these next week. And maybe even by then there will be a lot few player, a lot fewer players left in the draw. Maybe there will be fans back in the stands. Um, we can hope so anyway. We shall see. Thanks again, John. Thanks. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you to your suggestions for, uh, for, for guests. It's not easy to line up guests during a major, but uh, we've taken your suggestions under advisement. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Subscribe, leave a review, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We will uh, do another one of these next week when the draw will be winnowed further. Enjoy these next few days. Thank you.